Well, good morning, Harvest. I'm back. I was gone last week. I visited Harvest Joliet to see their new building down there, and uh, Rick Donald was here preaching. How many of you were here last week? Uh, be, great, great. How many of you were sleeping last Sunday morning? Nope. Just kidding. Rick Donald was here. He was uh, at the main Harvest campus like from the very beginning. So it was truly a blessing to have him here. And I hope you were blessed by his message. Uh, But I'm back. I'm excited about it. Uh, The sermon this morning will be the best sermon I've ever preached this year. Get it? Technically, it'll be the worst sermon I preached this year too. (laughs) Before we get into the word, I have three exciting bonus announcements for you. Announcement number one. Uh, Going into December, I got up in front of everyone and I said, hey, uh, we are cutting it close financially this year. In fact, we're on track, if nothing changes, to fall about $20,000 short of our budget, which would be problematic. Check out the back of your bulletin. On the back of your bulletin, we print a little financial snapshot each week. Uh, But I'm really thrilled to report that we actually um, collected $14,000 over our budget last year. Is that amazing or what? Uh, There are times when I sit at my desk looking at the financial reports and I say to myself, an $860,000 budget? Wow, where is this going to come from? Um, And God richly provides each one of us with all that we have. And it's only the Lord who could do the math to figure out uh, how he'll bless us so that we could actually be expanding in ministry. We're a growing church and that you know, brings those costs. So I really give glory to God that he continues to provide for so many of us, even while the economy still isn't ideal. And on top of the general fund, we collected uh, like $279,000 for the building fund last year alone too. It really is amazing. And I'm grateful to the Lord for that. Right after my praise goes up to the Lord though, then instantly I also say to myself, our people are incredibly generous and, um, and they love the Lord, and they're showing that with their giving. So thank you for all of you who really sacrificed and kept your pledge last year. It means a lot to the Lord, and it means a lot to the mission. So I'm grateful for that. Second big bonus announcement, um, the Holy Spirit wants us to be building up leaders in the church. It's his way. It's his way to make disciples. Churches need to raise up leaders. I'm always excited when we have new small group leaders, new flock leaders, new staff members. That's God's work. It's his way that he's going to make stronger disciples. Um, But we're always also on the lookout for new elders and new deacons, officers in the church. So I'm glad to report that we have one new elder candidate and one new deacon candidate who are in the final stages of being interviewed. Uh, When I say final stages, you might be wondering, like, how does a bill become a law? How does a servant become an elder? Uh, And let me just say, it is quite thorough. Several meetings face-to-face with me, uh, no questions barred. We talk through the man's life, his past, his present, his future plans. Um, we'll ask point-blank questions about his faithfulness in marriage, his purity of his eyes, everything. We'll go through First Timothy 3, character quality by character quality. We're not looking for a perfect man. We're looking for a man who has been changed drastically by God. And we believe the Holy Spirit is the one who identifies new elders and deacons in the church. In fact, it flat out says in the Bible, uh, shepherd the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer of, which means it's the Spirit's work in a man that qualifies him to become an elder or deacon. Therefore, when we run guys through this process, it's not like an audition. It's not like, show us what you got. Uh, it's, It's God detection. What is God doing in this man's heart? And it's a healthy thing for a church to be expanding its leader team. So um, our elder candidate is uh, Rich Arrigo, and our deacon candidate is Aaron Henning. 
And we uh, open up our candidates always to the congregation so that you can give us any feedback that you would like. Uh, you have a strong voice in this process. Uh, your voice could, could slow down or halt a person's candidacy. So uh, if you have anything you would like to share with us about Rich Arrigo or about Aaron Henning, feel free to contact me directly. Um, and we would love to hear your thoughts on that. We're, we're setting a goal of having an installation service on February 7th. Um, so between now and then, reach out to us. And if, you, you know, if there's an amen in your heart for these men, please reaffirm it to them. Reassure them that you're excited about that. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So that's big news, that's great news, and it's news that makes God happy when we are raising up new leaders. Uh, finally, for bonus announcements, Pastor Brandon has a contract on the facility, and he's going to launch Sunday, February 14th. He's going to launch. Yeah. Some of you might be wondering, Pastor who? Pastor Brandon was with us for three years, and then we sent him out because we couldn't stand him. I mean, because... Because he was called of God to go plant a church back in his hometown, Rochester, New York. He's there. He's been working for a year. Can you believe it? Building up a team. He has uh, 40 adults and then kids and teens on top of that. And they, they had everything they needed, the money and everything. They just didn't have a building. Finally, they got a contract on Friday. So February 14th is the launch day. We're planning on sending uh, like three different teams to go to Rochester to help them launch. So we'll get you details about that. But please, encourage him on Facebook, tell him that you're praying for him, and his launch is coming up. We are thrilled about that. All right, bonus announcement's over. Are you ready to get into God's Word together? Well, let's begin. Have you heard the story of Whitney Sirak? On April 26, 2006, a Taylor University van carrying nine students and staff members collided full speed with a tractor-trailer on Interstate 69 in Indiana. Five people riding in the van died instantly in the crash, including a young blonde woman the coroner identified as Whitney Sirak. A similar-looking woman who was unable to communicate was identified as Laura Van Ryan. For several weeks, the Van Ryan family kept a bedside vigil over the patient they believed to be their daughter. However, shockingly, after five weeks of hospitalization, the identity of the surviving woman they thought to be their daughter was questioned. When she was finally able to speak, she said, My name is Whitney. They had made a mistake at the coroner's office. She was not Laura Van Ryan. It was a tragic mix-up. It was five weeks after they had had the funeral for Whitney. Here's a picture how you can see that there would be some mis- uh, mix-up. They looked very similar, and after the accident, bodies were crushed and mangled, and they had a very hard time figuring out who was who. Whitney was alive, but her family thought she was dead. She made an unbelievable recovery and later found out that they had her funeral and 1,400 people attended. Check out this video of her talking about that. They had a, they cried for me and they had a funeral for me, which is pretty surreal. I don't know if you guys have ever listen to your own funeral (laughs) a lot of people are like what would what would be said at your own funeral and I kind of know the answer to that because I've listened to it um people are really honest at funerals they say really nice things but then there are some things that you find out like my sister said that I never showered enough and (laughs) our pastor said that I was never the best at sports so I found out some interesting things 
my whole world had changed and everything I knew about myself had vanished. Most people today don't get the chance to witness the end of their own lives. You won't know when it will happen frequently. Whitney had a chance to see what the world would be like without her. They sold her clothes. They cleaned out her room. She was gone. She was dead. Everyone must decide what they believe about the next life because this life will soon be over. And once it's over, you won't get a chance. You won't get a chance to rethink things. Whitney has the opportunity to rethink, to consider what would happen. What would the world be like without her when it's all over? And the thought of the afterlife is more real to her than it is to us. She saw her own tombstone. Your day is coming. So is mine. Your faith is defined in part by what you believe about the next life. What do you believe about the moment after you die? What will happen? What do you think about those around you? What will happen to them? Destiny is a very important component of your worldview. One of the ways that you can note how your view is different than the view of other people who believe other faiths is to talk about destiny. What do you think will happen one moment after you die? Where do you think you'll be in a thousand years? In talking about the idea of destiny, you can see the contrast and you'll see how different our view is. We're learning how to share our faith with others. So far, we've talked about origin, where it began, meaning, why we're here, morality, right and wrong, and now we're on to destiny. We have to learn how to talk to other people about heaven and hell, the end, because you'll have an opportunity to share your faith about this. But people don't often want to talk about death. Woody Allen said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's how most people feel. But you will have a chance, whether at a funeral, whether talking to someone who recently lost a loved one, whether talking to someone who has a serious illness, you will have a chance to talk to others about heaven and hell. Will you be ready? Will you be willing? Let's pray, and then we'll learn how to share our faith with others. Father, we open your word today. Our ears are open to you. Our hearts are open to you. And we ask that you would Give us courage and confidence to share our faith with others. Enlighten our eyes to see what's coming in the next life. Show us that this world that we live in is so brief and fleeting. And once it's over, forever begins. It's the most important moment of our lives. We pray that you would get us ready and help us to get others ready. In your name, amen. Okay, question. What happens after you die? We're learning that when you talk to others about Christ, it's best to lead with some questions. So when you get into a conversation, a spiritual conversation, throw this one out there. What happens after you die? What what do you think happens after you die? And listen very carefully to what the person says. If you had to sum up in a nutshell what we believe, if you only had one sentence to share with someone, what would you say? Here's a suggestion. Write this down in your bulletin. I believe Jesus alone can bring me to a glorious future in heaven. I believe Jesus alone can bring me to a glorious future in heaven. That's my faith. This is what makes our view unique and special. It's different from all other views. We think Christ is necessary to get into heaven. We believe that Jesus is central, not only to origin, where we came from, or meaning, why we're here, 
or morality, what is right and wrong, but to destiny, where we're going forever. Jesus is supreme over heaven. The Bible teaches Jesus rules heaven. It's his kingdom. Heaven is not your personal customized paradise. The kingdom belongs to him. Luke 1, 32 to 33, the Christmas truth we just celebrated says this, he, Jesus, will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? How long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. People like to imagine what heaven will be like. Movies are made, like the Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May Come. People imagine what will heaven be like. We don't know everything But as you imagine what heaven will be like, you must have a throne and a Christ on it or you're getting heaven wrong. He is king of heaven. It's his kingdom. We also believe Jesus decides who gets into heaven. He is the Lord of it all. He is the gate. And he's the judge of the living and of the dead. Have you ever heard someone say, well, who are you to judge? How many of you have heard that? Who are are you to judge others? And then then they'll say something like this, well, Jesus said you shouldn't judge. Don't judge others, lest you be judged. So therefore, we shouldn't judge. Is that all the Bible says? Because sure, condemning hypocritical judgment is something Jesus said. You shouldn't, in your sin, judge others who are in their sin. That's hypocrisy. What else does the Bible say about judgment? Check out this verse. It says in Acts 17, 31, I'd love for you to read this with me. Lift up your voice here and let's read this. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who is that? When someone says, well, who are you to judge? Jesus said, judge not. You know what you you say back? You say, do you think Jesus is the judge of everyone who's ever lived? And the answer is yes. Every person who's ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ prior to entrance into his kingdom. We think heaven is a real place. Jesus is king and judge, and he decides who gets in and who doesn't. Heaven is glorious. You should want to be there now. The apostle Paul said, I don't know which to choose, for it's better by far for me to go and be with him but I suppose I'll stay here with you all. Our longing should be to be there right now. Heaven is glorious. Let me read to you from Revelation 21, 1 to 5, describing heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. All things new. All things new. 
Kleenex will be out of business. Heaven is glorious. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. How many of you have seen all the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies? Raise your hand up if you've seen all of them. For the rest of you, write down New Year's resolution number one. (laughs) If you haven't watched watched the extended editions yet, you are a subclass fan. (laughs) I love the Lord of the Rings in the book, which is better. At the end, after the huge battle, Samwise Gamgee is reflecting on the fact that he almost just died. Here's a picture of Frodo and Sam on the road to get rid of the ring. And it looked so hopeless. In your world, you're not literally surrounded by orcs walking through a desolate land to a volcano, but you might as well be because this world is dark and it doesn't look like the story's going to have a happy ending. After all of the chaos and all of the fear, Sam survives and then he looks and he sees that Gandalf is alive and they thought Gandalf was dead. And in his joy, here's what he says. He says this, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? For the Christian, yes. Heaven is where everything sad comes untrue. That's our hope. Dostoevsky was a Russian Orthodox Christian who reflecting on heaven said this, I believe that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Christians believe Jesus will repair everything sin broke in heaven. Whenever you find yourself longing for a better world, a better body, a better relationship, less pain, less suffering, that longing was placed in your heart by God. You're longing for a perfect world, and you'll get it. But we believe that it's Christ who gives us entrance into this new world. We're supposed to live with longing for the next life. When my daughter Ellie was younger, uh, I taught her about the end times a little bit in a way that she could understand. And I said, so Jesus is coming back soon. Are you excited about that? Do you want him to come back now? And she's like, yes, no, after Halloween. (laughs) Kids. We're the same way, aren't we? Do you really want him to come back today? Not really. I've got a game to watch. I've got a list of things I'd like to, a list of people I'd like to. Today, it seems too soon. But when we understand what heaven is all about, we know that Jesus alone can and will bring us to a glorious future in heaven. We believe that about heaven and we should long for everyone to be there. But jot this down. We believe everyone without Jesus will suffer permanent torment in hell. That's our faith. That's what the Bible teaches. We believe everyone without Jesus will suffer eternal, permanent torment uh, in hell. A lot of churches don't like to talk about hell very much. And I would just like to say, if the time comes where I stop talking about hell, please sue me for spiritual malpractice. 
because I'm failing you. And if the time comes when you stop talking about hell to those who you love, you're failing them. We really believe that everyone in the world is standing in one of only two lines right now. And wherever that line takes them will be permanent, eternal, conscious bliss or torment. That's it. We do not think there's a second chance after you die. We do not think God will drum up any other way to get people in to Christ's kingdom other than Christ. Here and now is the time, which is why the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Jesus himself talked about this matter in Matthew 10, 28. He said this, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If only because of fear of the God who made us, if only because of the recognition that he can put our soul away from him in hell forever, we should follow him. That's not the primary motive the Bible gives us for following him or trusting him. But it is a strong motivation. In Revelation 20, 11 to 15, it talks about judgment and hell and how people will get there. It says this. It says in Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a sobering truth, but books are being kept right now. Your every thought is being written down right now. Your response to everything you're hearing of God's word is being recorded right now. And this tape will be played on Judgment Day. A book is being kept. There's a book that bears your name that will be opened and your whole soul, your whole life will be laid bare before God and it will condemn you. It will condemn you. It'll take 10 minutes for the angels to muster up enough evidence in your life to put you away for eternity. And after the 10 minute mark where you like realize I'm screwed, I'm guilty, Then, for the next six months, as they go through every detail of your life, there will be nothing in your heart but one constant groan because you will know it's true. You are justly condemned. Not for a second will you say during your judgment, this is not fair. You'll know it's fair. And everyone else will know it's fair too. If the only book in heaven waiting for you that bears your name is your book, you're going to hell. But there's another book, and that book bears the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And once your book is done condemning you, another book will be opened. And if that book bears your name, you will be judged by the righteousness of Christ, and you'll enter heaven forever. You can't trust anything you've done in this life to get you into heaven. Your book will condemn you. You can only trust that your name is in Christ's book, that he has received you as his own, that his works will be your basis of judgment. 
And it's not just true for you, it's true for anyone in your life. Is their name in that book or not? Hey, do you know you're going to heaven? Why do you think you're going to heaven? We sat down for coffee and I said, why do you think you're going to get in? Will you even mention that Jesus has received you, changed you, saved you? Or is it all about, I did this, I didn't do that? If you're trusting your own book, you're condemned. We believe that Christ alone can get us into heaven. You know, I was not going to heaven. I was raised religious. I was a good kid. Uh, I wrote my reports for Christian education. Did a lot of good things. Chose not to do a lot of bad things. I was a good kid. I was a sinful kid who got away with a lot too. It wasn't until the first year in college when one of my friends who was a Christian invited me to church and then I realized, according to God's word, I was a sinner. I couldn't work my way up to God's standard. That my sins like a mountain were on top of me, crushing me. and That I would never rise up from them. And it was in that context that I got on my knees in response to God's word and said, I am a sinner, have mercy on me. Forgive me and take away my record of debt. Jesus, be my savior. And I was saved. Here's a picture. I I was a drummer in a heavy metal band and that's me getting baptized. You can't see it, but my ponytail goes all the way down to my belt. That's how I got saved. That punk kid was won by the Lord. But I had to abandon my self-righteousness or I had to abandon my cultural religion and say, I need a Savior. I believe Jesus alone can bring me to a glorious future in heaven and I believe everyone without Jesus will suffer permanent torment in hell. That's what we believe. Now, when you share what you believe, right away there will be people there waiting to say, well, that's fine for you. But other people believe things too. And so you'll hear them say something like, all religions basically teach the same thing. How many of you have heard that before? All religions basically teach the same thing. Is that true? Let's look at that claim. You can compare other faiths to yours by looking at what they say about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Let's consider what they say about destiny. Do they say the same thing? Let's talk about atheists and naturalists. This would include... Uh, people who don't believe in God or people who think we can't really know everything about God. Jot this down. They believe death is the end of everything forever. Death is the end of everything forever. This would include even deists who, um, like enlightenment thinkers who think that God, yeah, he was there. He like wound up the universe like a watch and then he just let it go. And we can't know him and we can't know anything about it and it'll all just end in the end. Agnostics and atheists all fit into this category. They obviously don't believe the same thing as us. Most of them would think that you're, ba- you're just body. Your body, your, ke- your chemicals, your skin and bones, there is no such thing as a soul or a spiritual realm. You're just electrical signals flying through uh, neurons, and when all that stops, you're gone. Nothing is where you came from. Nothing is where you're returning. You're, you're nothing. There's no spiritual realm. God is a thought that dies with you. Their faith, and it is faith because they can't prove it, their faith is different than yours. Now, when faced with the cold, dark, black chaos that's coming, they either do one of two things. They either drum up some mystical, inexplicable hope to live by, or they try and reconcile their souls that there is absolutely no hope in this life. They either have to face it, or they have to try and get around it. An agnostic voice, Voltaire, 
writing in the 1700s, who represents more of a deist, said this, What is the verdict of the vastest mind? Silence. The book of fate is closed to us. Man knows not whence he comes nor whither he goes. Tormented atoms in a bed of mud, devoured by death, a mockery of fate. That's their fate. Tormented atoms in a bed of mud, devoured by death, a mockery of fate. Is that what you believe? Is that what you think you are and what will become of you? A mockery of fate, nothing in the end. I don't believe that. That's different than what I believe. Bertrand Russell, a hardline atheist, writes this of destiny. All the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Face it! Face it! You're doomed. Doomed to nothing forever. Live with it. It's called despair. There's no hope that there's anything waiting for you. Therefore, there's no no hope that this means anything. Conveniently, at the end, there will be no justice, no judgment. No one will be held accountable for anything they did forever. It's awfully convenient. We believe atheists need Jesus or they'll live and die without hope. We think their hope that there will be nothing waiting for them on the other end is deceiving. There's a huge surprise, a shocking surprise waiting for them in the next life. We have to reach them. Let's talk about Buddhism. Jot this down. Buddhists, they think this world is one big spiritual illusion that will soon end. One big spiritual illusion that will soon end. You may or may not run into Buddhists on a daily basis, but what do you say when someone says, all religions basically teach the same thing? What will you say? You can say something like this. Uh, Do you know what Buddhists think about the end of it all? They think right now you don't exist. It's an illusion. You don't know it yet, but you don't exist. This world is one big spiritual deception. You will wake up one day to the nothingness you already are, and then you'll be nothing forever. The end of the story to Buddhists is human extinction. But even more shockingly, they think humans are all extinct right now. We just haven't realized it yet. Is that what you believe? Tell me. Is that what you believe? That none of us really exists right now? Is that, is that anywhere close to what you believe? When someone says to you, all religions basically teach the same thing, are you comfortable with a person who thinks that you really don't exist? That bothers me. Personally, I think Buddhism is the saddest and most irrational of all faiths. I think it's worse than atheism. At least atheists grant you that this really exists. The Buddhists won't even give you that. And what's waiting for you in the end? Nothing. It's sad. It's irrational. Buddhists need Jesus. We don't think this world is made of a spiritual deception. We think it's real. And we think there is a great surprise waiting for them when they pass from this life. Understand also, both can't be true at the same time. 
Oh, well, that's true for you. Really? It's true for you that I don't exist, but it's true for me that I do? Do I or don't I? They both can't be true at the same time, and it's ludicrous to think they can because they are so different. Buddhism is different. Buddhists need Christ. Hinduism is different. Write this down. Uh, Hindus believe this world is a spiritual illusion. They've got that in common with the Buddhists. But they think it'll merge into a sea of divine energy soon. Behind the curtain of this life, Buddhists think there's nothing. Hindus think there's everything. They think everything that's important is really behind the curtain of this life. They They still assert that this world isn't real. You're not real right now. This is just an illusion projected by one of their gods. All right? In fact, this world is God. There's no, the universe doesn't exist to the Hindus. Only God exists. So this is made of God. Everything is made of God. There's no distinction between the universe and God. The universe is God to the Hindus. Is that what you believe? No. You think God made the universe and you think science is really on your side for this issue. I had the chance to talk to a a Hindu cab driver uh, on the way to the airport several months ago, and we got off to a good spiritual conversation. He found out I was a pastor, and uh, he he, uh, started asking me questions, so I started asking him questions. And I said, hey, Hinduism thinks the universe doesn't really exist. What do you guys do with the science that shows that the physical universe came into existence at a point in time, that shows that matter and energy are real things, that you can look and see that it really is something, it's not a spiritual illusion? Uh, how, how do you reconcile the physical universe with your faith that it's not real? And he said, that's a really good question and I think about that a lot. He doesn't have an answer. His faith doesn't line up with common sense. He doesn't know what to do with that. The faith of Hindus will not satisfy them. And listen, if you think, if you're sentimental and you think you don't want to offend someone by telling them your view is right, are you really willing to let them slip off into eternity thinking they're coming back 10 million more times to try and get it right before one of their gods will eventually get fed up and reabsorb all of the universe into his very being? Is that what you believe? Do you think one day you're just going to like a drop be reabsorbed into a sea of divine energy and you'll no longer exist? That's not what we believe. Can both be true? Can we walk the streets of gold and see the glory of Jesus with our eyes and be non-existent as a drop in a sea of divine energy at the same time? It's irrational and ignorant and foolish to say they can both be true at the same time. They're very different and they can't both be true. Therefore, you have to pick one. Hindus need Jesus. They need Jesus because he's one of a kind, unique. He's the only one who can settle their record of debt with a holy God. What about Islam? Islam is very different than Christianity, though it grew out of Christian roots. Uh, We have a lot in common, but basically jot this down. Muslims believe that Allah arbitrarily decides who goes to heaven and hell. Um, Arbitrarily decides. We have in common with Islam that there's creation. We believe monotheistic. You know, there's one God. We think there is a divine standard of right and wrong. And we think every human will have a record of their morality in this life. Muslims believe that there's, you know, an angel on each shoulder. And your every action is being written down right now. 
We have that in common with them. Um, but we have some very significant differences between their faith and ours. Uh, they think heaven is a garden of paradise. They think once there, men in particular will have a pretty sweet life. They'll get a harem of young virgins. They think hell is fiery torment. We have that in common. But when you dig into their book, you understand pretty quickly that Allah is not the God of the Bible. Allah is not a father. He has no son. It's the most blessed verse in the Quran you can recite. God is not a father. He has no son. Does that sound like your God? Does that sound like your God? Allah has done nothing to solve our sin problem. He has not stepped into earth, nor will he. Our God has. How can you say that it's the same God? If the description isn't the same, how can the God be the same? If someone were to come up to me and start describing me and saying, you know what, let me tell you about Ryan. He's short, red hair, bushy beard, wears a top hat, always dresses in green. I'd be like, that's a leprechaun. It's not me. If they insisted, no, 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 you're the same. Let me go on. I'd be like, I don't live at the end of a rainbow. You got the wrong guy. If I went up to my wife and I was like, babe, 15 years of marriage, still I'm just so excited about us being together. I can't get enough of your bright, fiery red hair and your brown eyes. And man, she'd be like, who are you talking about? I have blonde hair and blue eyes. She would be quite offended because I'm describing a different woman. She would take no comfort in my words because I'm describing a different woman. The Quran describes a different God. It's not our God. So you must ask yourself as you interact with your Muslim friends and neighbors, can that God save them? The answer is no. That God cannot save them, nor will he. Allah can do whatever he wants. The truth is a record is being kept, but when Muslims stand in the presence of the God they think is waiting for them, he doesn't have to even care about how they live. He is free to do whatever he wants. There is no moral binding commitment he has made to humanity. He can decide not even to look upon the person who did their very best and the most righteous thing. He doesn't even have to care or love. That's not our God. That's not the judgment we think is coming. And we don't think that faith can save anyone. Muslims need Jesus. Their God is not the same as yours. They don't think Jesus died on the cross. Do you know that? Do you know they don't think Jesus died on the cross? Because God would never do that to a righteous person. So they don't have a savior. They don't have a crucified substitute for their sin. They leave this world with no hope that their sin has gone anywhere. They're under the wrath of God. Their faith is not the same, and both can't be true at the same time. Hey, look, there's, there's my Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. Oh, well, my faith is that he didn't even die on the cross. Oh, well, maybe he did die on the cross, and he didn't die on the cross at the same time. No, no, they both can't be true. You have to pick one. And saying they're both true at the same time is ignorance, deception, foolishness. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. How are all these faiths the same? They're different in origin, different in meaning, different in morality, different in destiny. How are they the same? They're not. 
I threw in Jehovah's Witnesses at the end here just for variety and because their faith is unique. But they would say Jesus is not God. They would say Jesus is an angel. And they believe, that, that they believe this. Some will live in heaven, others on earth, and the wicked will be destroyed. I include this because there are many, even Christians, who would like to assume that the wicked will not go to eternal conscious torment and hell, but they'll somehow just be, you know, just like annihilated. We don't believe that. We don't believe God will annihilate or destroy in the sense of eliminating the wicked. Jehovah's Witnesses think some will live on earth and others will go to heaven. It's a distortion of your faith. The Bible assures us that judgment is certain for unbelievers. We need to settle that matter in our heart. Have you wept for the lost in your life? Have you wept for the judgment that's coming on the lost in your life? Has the truth that you find in this book broken you for the lost? Or are you wishing away the judgment that's coming in hopes that it won't? 2 Peter 2, starting in verse 4, says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with only seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. They have no hope of escape at all. But God's heart is not to condemn, but to save. The Bible reassures us that anyone who is united with Christ by faith is eternally secure in his love. It says in Romans 8, 38 to 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, your faith, your hope that one day you will be in the presence of God, in his love forever, is better than any other truth on the market. You should want it for everyone you know, passionately with tears. And watching them cling to any other broken shards of glass should grieve you for them. Because you know what's coming. You have hope. There's a story in the Old Testament of a city in Jerusalem or in Israel that's under siege and everyone's starving and dying and God announces that he's going to deliver the city and there are lepers who are sitting at the gate and they're like, well, we're about to die. Let's go over to the enemy camp. And they go over to the enemy camp and the whole, and the whole army is gone. They ran for their lives because God terrified them. And they walked around this camp starving lepers and they saw food and they saw clothes and they saw gold and they saw weapons and they started grabbing it and they started hoarding it and they started hiding it and then they stopped and they said what we're doing is not right if we delay judgment will find us out then they went back and they started telling everyone about what god had done we can't hold this into ourselves while those around us are starving spiritually. We've got to get the message of Christ to everyone, regardless of what they believe. Resolve in your heart right now. You will no longer look at someone who has a different faith than you and think they'll be okay probably. They won't. 
You'll stop trying to just pacify them or you'll stop trying to avoid offending them. You'll stop reasoning your way into thinking that maybe their sincerity will work on Judgment Day. Get that out. It won't work. You are charged by Christ to go and make disciples. We must do that. Everything is at stake. I read the book The Pilgrim's Progress last year. Great read. If you've never read it, it's a classic. You have to read it. But at one point in the book where they're about to go on to heaven, there's a description there of what it's going to be like. And it says this, What good mansions he for them provides, though they meet with rough winds and swelling tides. How brave a calm they will enjoy at last, who to their Lord and by his ways hold fast. I love that. How brave a calm they will enjoy at last. Is your soul going there? Do you have confidence biblical confidence that you will go to heaven. I read a prayer in a book of uh, Puritan writings last year also that just really moved me. It talks about the hope that we have and what the world can't give to us. Let me read that to you. It says this, time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Most men earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life, as if they suppose that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what false, delusive dreams are these? And how miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them? For all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art holy. This is our hope. This world is not our home. This world is preparation for eternity. Are you getting others ready for that? Are you getting others ready for the moment when they'll stand before God and be evaluated for their lives? Are you reaching out and talking about heaven and hell with those you love? Who is it in your life that you could talk to? Who is sick? Who's hopeless? Who's lost someone recently? Who, who's despairing? Who's maybe old and they're worried about what's coming next? Take initiative. Talk to them about what's coming. And ask yourself this, are you ready? Is your soul ready for the day when you will stand before God? Is your soul ready for that? God wants you to be ready. The Bible is clear. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. When you hear the truth today and understand that a book will be open on Judgment Day, the book that bears your name and it will condemn you forever, that should terrify you. Then when you realize that Christ Jesus came into the world, he was butchered, he was bloodied, he was betrayed for you, he died a horrible death and then rose again, your heart should be so moved with the love of God found in Christ Jesus, you should fall at his feet and worship him. Now, while you still have time. You're not guaranteed another afternoon. God is giving you a chance right here, right now, to receive the grace that will sustain you for all of eternity. This is your shot. This is your chance to admit what's true about you, your need. I want to give you a chance right now as we close this to think about your own destiny. What are you clinging to? What is your hope? On what basis do you know you're going to heaven? If you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, He's King there. He's judged there. He's the only one who can get you in. Let me give you a chance right now to entrust your soul to him. Join me in prayer.
Father in heaven, we believe that you made us for your glory. We believe that you are right now keeping a record of our every move. And we believe we will be condemned because we've sinned greatly against you. We've ignored you. We've violated you. Father, we've broken your law. We've failed to love those who you've placed around us. We've hidden our sins. But we know that you sent your Son to be the Savior of the world. Right here, Father, I give people a chance to pray, to invite Jesus to be their Savior. These aren't magic words. These are the cry of sinful hearts towards a holy God who loves us. (coughs) Father, right now, I give people a chance to pray in their own hearts saying this. Lord, I have sinned greatly against the holy God. I am entirely to blame for the sin problems in my life. Forgive me. Forgive me for the sins that no one knows about. Forgive me for the sins that I've tried to quit but can't. Forgive me for the sins in the relationships I've broken. Take away my guilt. Take away my shame. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross in my place. Wash away my sins right now. Give me hope that I will be with you forever. Give me hope that you as the King of Heaven will grant me entrance. Give me hope that my name is written in your book today. Father, for any who are receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, fill them with joy. For Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. May that be our confidence now. We pray that you would fill us with your joy and help us to say, as the Bible concludes, by saying, Amen, Lord Jesus, come. In his name we pray, amen.